And welcome, listeners, to another episode of Cathode Raycast, the Story Screen Presents podcast where we talk about all things television. If you are here for the first time, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if you've listened before, you'll recognize my voice. I'm the host of this podcast. I'm Bernadette Gorman-White. I'm coming back at you. We took last month off because there was so much content to cover last month between all of the different shows that we like to do. And to be honest, there was so much TV last month that it was hard to choose which show to cover. Um, We're in a lucky, lucky time right now. There are lots of great shows coming out, but we're here to talk about maybe one of the best shows that I might be woefully underprepared to talk about because it's so dense. It's so rich. I'm so excited to talk about it. It's a show that I probably should have watched for a second time because it's so layered that I probably missed a few things here and there, but I'm excited to talk about it. If you clicked on the link, you know we're here to talk about Andor, and I'm joined by a lovely guest today to talk about it who's been really hot to talk about it. It's Robert Anderson. Hey, hey, what's up? How's it going? Oh, what's going on? It's going great. How's it going with you, Robbie? Good. Excited to talk about Andor Supremacy, best <laughs> show on TV. Coming at ya. What's up? Uh, I also feel like I might be woefully uh, underprepared to talk about this show. Yeah, yeah. To a certain extent. Because it is, it is dense, but I also think there's it's like simple in a way, where it's like, you know, fascism bad. Yes. And rebellion good. Yeah. How different is that from other Star Wars, you know? Not very. And yeah. it's it's interesting because I think you and I are simpatico with uh, the Star Wars projects that we like and enjoy. And yeah. I'm very glad um, the people who did not like The Last Jedi, because that is a Star <clears> Wars <throat> film. You go out to the movies. Everyone's going out to the movies to watch this stuff. Um, you're not going to miss a Star Wars movie if it comes out in theaters, for sure. Um, especially if it's part of, like, the ongoing trilogies. Sometimes the side projects like Rogue One or Solo, uh, sometimes those get lost. But I feel like all of the right people are watching Andor because I'm not really seeing anything negative about it, which is really nice. I'm thinking it's overwhelmingly enjoyed. It seems like most people are really digging it. And the discourse around it seems very clean and polite, which is kind of a strange thing to deal with when it comes to Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, I I haven't seen too much naysaying in my, like, you know, algorithm echo chamber. But uh, I I will say, like, the, the things I have seen, I think there was, like, one video that was going around and it was, like, these two, uh, you know, much like ourselves, these two podcasters. But they were, like... Basically, like, calling Andor, like, boring, and they, like, didn't... I, I don't know they didn't get it, but they were just, like, they just thought it was boring, really. And I think some people, you know, Tony Gilroy had a lot... The creator of the show, <clears throat> and also director of Rogue One? Yeah, I think so. <coughs> I think he directed 
most if so not all so much of the episodes um yeah yeah so he he you know he has a lot of like interviews with him being like there's no jedi there's no fan service i'm not doing any of that stuff and you know this is the great chasmic divide in star wars right now mm-hmm. i think Whereas, like, you know, we didn't realize how big it was until you get something like Andor to kind of be like, this is the other. We actually made it to the other side of the chasm now. So we know where, where like, you know, the peaks are. But, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people took issue with him saying that kind of stuff. And, you know, if you've enjoyed the Star Wars shows before Andor, uh, that makes sense. Because all they are are Easter eggs. Right. So... You know, all all they are is fan service and Easter eggs. So if that's something you're really and, into, yeah, and or and or may not be for you. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, I did look it up. Tony Gilroy did not direct any of it. Um, however, he did write most of the episodes. Um, okay. So a quick little check on my part, but yeah, um, Tony Gilroy is really interesting. He's a Hudson Valley boy. He was raised Ooh. in Washingtonville, which is not far from where I live in Cornwall, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty cool. I listened to WTF a while ago. It was like when Andor was first coming out. And Mark Marin interviewed Tony Gilroy. And what I think really shows in the the context of Andor and just like how great it is, is that it was a story that Tony Gilroy had been thinking about for a long time. And... Obviously, he did Rogue One, so it's the same guy coming back, working with the same character of Cassian Andor. Um, So he's had these ideas percolating for a long time, and he really kind of just liked the story that he was writing, and he kind of just put like the Star Wars skin on top of it, Um, and it worked out really well. So yeah, he wasn't doing the easter eggs like you had said like he he wanted to write like a complex story about like the human condition and what humans can be capable of and that's why rogue one feels so unique in its own right and this just felt like such a good spiritual successor to that because it was handled by the same people which obviously in certain trilogies you know it's kind of jarring because they're not handled by the same people and it's very obvious. No, and then you, <laughs> yeah, and then maybe you have one movie you really like out of those three, and right. then the other two movies feel like they don't like the middle movie, <laughs> and it gets really confusing. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, it's good when like they have a creative vision who's on board throughout the whole thing. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Bert, what are your what do you feel about uh, what are your opinions on Rogue One? Um, I really, really like Rogue One. Gotta watch it again. I've only seen it the one mm-hmm. time, and it was when it came out in theaters. Yeah. So it's been a long, long time. But I have really good memories of, of watching that film because I, I saw it when I was back in Lincoln, Nebraska. We were back there visiting. Um, we went to the Alamo Draft House, which just recently opened in Omaha, Nebraska. And we went with some friends of ours, Chris and Amanda, who are really big into Star Wars. So just kind of like the whole experience of Rogue One was great. But the film as well was awesome because it was just such a departure from what we were really used to. And while it was filling the gaps in the Star Wars lore, I felt like it was released at a time where that was really interesting and it didn't feel like they were like shoehorning it 
into a section just to be like, look how we got from here to here. It seemed like mm-hmm. a really interesting idea that was told because the story was so compelling rather than, you know, like the Star Wars people looking at their like calendar, <laughs> their timeline and being like, well, what other project can we do? How how much yeah. can we milk this? Um, Rogue One felt like are, the opposite of yeah. that. <laughs> they are so afraid to go into the future. Yes, they yeah, are. Yeah, I, I – I like Rogue One. I, I remember really liking it when I saw it in theaters uh, and being, like, really hot on it. And then I think, like, watching it another time and just kind of, like, m- like thinking about it more and talking to more people about it, I do feel like it has some, like, narrative structural elements that, like, kind of, like, fall apart at some part points. Um, I think just because there's, like, a lot of hands involved with Rogue One, I think it was, like, rewritten a few times. Um and maybe even had like reshoots and stuff like that happen. But I, I, I overall, like I liked it and I, you know, I always liked the sentiment from people who really liked it where it's like, oh, it's like an actual war movie. And like, you know, like, what does that mean? It's like it, it uses like the genre trappings and tropes of like war movies that's in a Star Wars movie. Um, and then you have something like Andor and it's like, you know, why does Andor feel so different? It's like, well, Andor is a story about you know, fascism and rebellion, but it feels like it's pulling from like other really good stories about that. And it feels so new despite being a part of like a franchise that has been telling that exact story for, you know, 40 plus years. Right. And I think that's kind of like the magic trick of the show where it's like, Oh my God, it feels so new and different. It's just like, it is the same thing. Yeah. But it's just doing it in a way that like, you know, uh, I think the, I think the, the best thing Andor does is that it treats its audience like they're intelligent. Yeah. And I don't think any Star Wars show does that. Mm-mm. I think they treat you like you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and and I just, you know, and I like, listen, I like Mandalorian. Uh, I especially like Mandalorian season one because I feel like season one feels a bit more adjacent to something like Andor where it's just like, Oh, there's just like it's such a big galaxy. There's this own story happening that's like you know a bit smaller out there. There's so many stories to tell. And then like Mandalorian season two, uh, you know, I think it takes the easy way out, and it right. feels good in the moment. It feels good in the moment. You're like, oh my god, this is crazy. It's happening. And then we're like, what the fuck are you left with afterwards? You know? Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. I really like that. Ahsoka Tano story from season two. I think that's the best episode easily out of that yeah, season. Yeah, that was cool. Um, but that yeah. was cool. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I feel like a lot of Star Wars is like, we got the biggest spoon we could find, and here you go, babies. <laughs> like, yeah, we're going to eat it up. Every single thing to you. And Andor does not spoon feed you. There were a couple times where I'm like, wait, no. Heath. And he was like, yeah, it was that character. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like there were no, times Andor where is... I was like, uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, okay, I remember now. <laughs> and yeah, they don't do like flashbacks to be like, remember this? It was important. Were you paying attention? Yeah. It was like, no, you're you're gonna pay attention if you like this. If you're if you're not really liking this, you're probably not gonna pay attention. And uh, it's a show. Like we're gonna put it in the context of like you're hearing this story. But it's not about, like, getting you from point A to point B. It's like, just watch this unfold, which is really nice. It was refreshing. Yeah, no, it just, it it doesn't hold your hand. No, not at all. You know? And I think, like, I don't know, I think, like, not 
liking that is weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know? Agreed. I think, like, being like, I don't have to watch it again, or, like, I don't have to, like, do research to, like, figure it out. It's just like, I don't know, man. Like, I think I think that's kind of cool. Like... Yeah. I think it's, it's good for uh, a show handling, like, one of the biggest entertainment properties in the world to be challenging. Um, Definitely. And then also the things that it has to say about, like, its conversation about, like, fascism versus rebellion is, like, really you know, feel, feels so modern and also like, you know, it like Star Star Wars always has like a big political elephant in the room, but they like never really, really want to address it. They're like this, like Star Wars movies are like about politics. Yeah. You know, you have like mm-hmm. these giant setting, like a uh, Senate meetings in uh, the prequels and stuff like politics, like they're like their emperor is, is a Senator who like made a power grab, you know, like, uh-huh. The movies are all about politics, but, like, they, they're, it's very, like, I don't know. I feel like they never address it, like, too hard, because they're like, well, we want it to still be about, like, wizards and force magic and aliens and stuff like that. And they were really trying but to grab like, the kids in that original, pro- tri- yeah, original trilogy uh, as well, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you don't want to get bogged down in, in stuff like that. Uh, you know, politics, not that interesting to kids, but you know, and or, which I do think is skewed more towards adults. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I feel like make, but they still make a story that's like, you know, they, they have characters like, like Mon Mothma is a main character in the show. She's and one she's of my faves. great. And one of my everything faves. about her is great. And everything she does is great. <laughs> it's so cool. But it's all, it all like fleshes out the, the politics of Star Wars in a way it's interesting. Like they talk about like Mon Mothma talking to other senators about Palpatine is not like uh them talking about the grand the grand dark wizard will come for us all. They're just like, well he's overreaching with his power again and it's up to us in the Senate to make legislation to stop him. And it's like, oh that's like really interesting. Like, you know, they never talk about him in that kind of context before. No, it really does showcase as well that I mean Jedis are cool. Sith are cool. Like, those characters, we're not knocking them. But those are the fighters yeah. who show up to the fight, and they're like, we're here to fight. But yeah, the the people in Andor and Rogue One are the people who have to set up the pieces to make the fight successful. And I think that's mm-hmm. a more interesting story than the people who just show up to the fight and who are passionate. Because I think the people who are setting up the chess pieces are more interesting and I like that that type of storytelling better anyway. So yeah, this type of thing yeah. is definitely going to appeal to me. Um, for sure. Yeah, I think those were great points that you just made. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I love Jedi stuff. I think, I do feel like it's just been mishandled ever since, I don't know, the original Luke Skywalker. Because, like, you know, him <laughs> yeah. being the quote-unquote... Uh, the titular last Jedi, but even in the original trilogy, like, you know, the idea is that he's like, you know, the final samurai. He's the guy, you know, who's going to take on the world. He learned this like crazy, powerful legacy. He's, he's the greatest, like <clears throat> he's one of the best, like written protagonists to come to screen. Um, And now 40 years later, when you're trying to like tell all these other Star Wars stories and you're afraid to push forward in the Star Wars continuity, you have to be like, all right, so there are more Jedi in this time uh but none of them really hung out so that's weird it's like okay Okay. um so i 
Okay, cool. <laughs> and so you know, it just kind of like it just kind of like lessens everything. And I just feel like the plight of the Jedi in most of the time period that Star Wars movies take place in, uh, it's is diminishing returns on how interesting it is. Like uh-huh. we've seen the Jedi do like uh, Order sixty six stuff many times. Uh, I kind of wish they would just do more like prequel era, even before Attack of the Clones era stuff, where, like, Jedi were peacekeepers of the galaxy, not, um... Warriors. Magic war... War generals of right. the of the prequels era, you know? There's... Did you watch, um... Uh, Tales of the Jedi that not, just came out? Not yet, Burn? but it is on my list. It's great. I'm and looking forward to it. It follows, like, a little bit of Ahsoka in, like, you know, <clears throat> just, like, fleshes out her more as a character but it does like the count dooku arc of like how count dooku becomes bad and it has to be like my favorite forced jedi story i've ever seen because it's like it's very fleshed out it it's probably like the earliest in the canon you've seen the characters um or you've seen any star wars that's like like disney canon right now it probably hits the earliest point in that uh it was just interesting i was just like i just wish we got more Jedi stories like this where it's like because like you see Count Dooku and young Qui-Gon Jinn in one of the first episodes is like them just kind of doing they're trying to do a peacekeeping mission that goes awry it's like what if we just got more like Jedi monster of the week stuff but I just feel like uh with Star Wars people don't want monster of the week stuff either like I don't know I I like that stuff my favorite one of my favorite Mandalorian episodes is the spider episode and people hate that one so uh I like that episode, but I also hate that episode. But that's because I have a thing on spiders. Well, so that's a different. <laughs> yeah, but I think also, it's a cool true. episode. I just had to watch it like with very squinty eyes through like fingers. Yeah. But yeah. But you know, it's just a cool like again. Like I love like the the smaller stories that exist in Star Wars. And that Mandalorian episode, it's like he's stuck on a planet. He has to help fish lady. <laughs> it's so wacky. She's like taking a nudie bath and like Grogu's trying to eat the eggs. And I'm like, this is better than a Luke Skywalker reveal. Oh, yeah. It's definitely. better storytelling than a Luke Skywalker reveal. Because the laziest thing you can do in your story is be like, I put Luke Skywalker in it. <laughs> <laughs> Here he is, guys. This guy. You, you know this guy. <laughs> yeah. And again, it feels good in the moment. You're like, that was crazy. But then you're like, oh, now what? <laughs> right, right. Definitely. Yeah, I'm going to come in right now and say this for the listeners who maybe haven't listened to a cathode ray cast in the past. Uh, Typically, we don't have this friendly little conversation at the beginning where we don't really mention any spoilers. Um, But just beware, going into the rest of the episode, there will be spoilers. Uh, Typically, we get right into it at the very beginning, but that little precursor was, you know, a nice little section that you could listen to, which we really didn't spoil much. Just talking about like the general consensus of why we like this show. And yeah, Robbie, I agree that uh, Mon Mothma is one of my favorite Star Wars characters and so cool to see her again. I think it's interesting that in Andor, it's really Andor, Mon Mothma, and um, blanking on his name, Saul Guerrera. Those are really like the only Mm -hmm. three characters that are from previous things in any depth of any kind. Um, yeah. Yeah. If if memory serves. 
But yeah, I thought uh, mm. this new cast, because we were talking about how it doesn't spoon feed you. This de- this cast is huge. It's a massive yeah. cast for a Star Wars project. And with 12 episodes, um, which is the perfect length for this season of television. Because um, I, I, I was surprised it didn't feel long. Agreed. I usually gravitate towards yeah. like six episode miniseries. Or, you know, like, I think 12 is good. Sometimes 18 can be great. Um, but 12, it was interesting. I usually think, yeah, eight is, is a sweet spot for me. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was surprised that they made 12 work. I feel like you get to the, yeah, we're in spoiler town as is is the way here. Um, (laughs) but yeah, when they're, when they're doing the, the prison arc of the show, I was just like, oh my God, we have like four episodes left. That's like, that's like seven, eight, nine. I think those are. Uh And, uh. And it was great. And yeah, it just kind of makes it, 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 it makes the story kind of have like, um, it's a show that has, it's like it has proper three act structure. Cause it's like every four episodes is an act, you know? And, right. uh, and it's great. And it, and it's just, it's, it's just a level of like storytelling craft. I feel like we haven't seen in Star Wars. I, I think maybe ever, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's not a knock against like Star Wars stuff. People like, Sure. In sure. general, it's like you know they're they're movies for kids with wizards, like you know they're toy yeah. they're toy commercials. Uh, I'm not gonna buy the cereal Karn uh, action figure after watching this. No, cereal. Maybe kind I will of at the though. When I say that loud, maybe maybe I will do that. But <laughs> but he comes with all yeah, the fun outfits that he makes himself. Yeah, you can get nagging mother as the. Oh my uh, gosh. <laughs> that actress is amazing, uh, but she was so annoying. <laughs> she was so annoying. I just kept thinking about it. she's the she's the witch in uh, Macbeth. Yeah, <laughs> just like she's so creepy. She is creepy. She's got a great voice, um, but as nagging mother, she's very she's intense. intense. Yeah, yeah, she's a lot. Yeah, Tr- probably uh, triggering for some. Yes, um, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's just very it's very well constructed show. Now I felt like an idiot. Did you know that Andy Serkis, the actor? Was Snoke that he was the actor behind Snoke? Did you know this? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I must have just like not been paying attention when the whole. Well, Snoke I mean, thing he's like, he, it's not like he looks like Andy Serkis, so right? I wouldn't, bl- I wouldn't blame yourself too much. <laughs> and he's also only in like two of the movies. <laughs> That's for, like, true. He has like was it fifteen minutes of it's screen bad. time across like two movies? Yeah, like uh, yeah, so I wouldn't. But yeah, when Andy Serkis came into Andor, I was so excited. I'm like, man, they finally got Andy Serkis into Star Wars. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, he's been a part of Star Wars. Okay. Yeah. But that's still like a really fun reveal where it's just like, oh, like now he gets to do like, oh, that's so crazy. Like it's a really, it's a really cool cameo. Definitely. And it's like something that really only Star Wars can do because you can be like, this is weird alien number three. <laughs> and they're played by John Ham, And now it's regular ham. <laughs> regular ham. <laughs> regular hams here. Right, right. Um, or you could be like, here's a stormtrooper. It's Daniel Craig. Yeah, that's just, or uh, what is it? Tom Hardy's the other big one. Uh-huh. Right? Mm-hmm. That was, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, that's pretty wild. But yeah, I think I, that was, that was a really cool reveal. And then also he's like, uh, I don't know. For some, and I think debatably for me, he's the best. He's like the best character. Such a good character. Show. Um, his he's so complete cool. arc is just so heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Yeah, I think I think the section in the prison is like, 
if Andor hadn't clicked for you yet and you stuck around, like, this is it, Where it happens. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. It, it was really interesting because um, the first couple episodes of Andor, Heath was like, oh, this is like Yellow Jackets, but Star Wars. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you watched Yellow Jackets, Rob. <laughs> I, I haven't, but I, I, like, know the vibe and I can see why he would say that. Yeah, he's like, children stranded on a planet. Who knows? Are they cannibals? Who knows? And then you see some of them when they're older. And are they going to reunite? Are they not? And yeah, it's just interesting. It has like this very like earthy, um, I was going to say tribal, but I don't think tribal is the word. But like those first episodes before the prison episodes definitely feel like very organic and cultural and very interesting and then you get the prison episodes which are kind of like a whole different flavor but still feel like they're married to the beginning of the show and then in the end it gets really politic heavy and like obviously things are all you know conjoining and finally like merging together at the end but yeah i I like how it's more about like political intrigue um not so much like fantasy really not that i dislike that um, not so yeah. much sci-fi, you know, it's just like a lot of like deep, heady thoughts about like what you said, like fascism and rebellion, but really mm. more about like human spirit. And all of these people felt very human and real to me, yeah. even the ones who were alienoid. But really, they stuck to like mostly humans, which was interesting because I think this is the first Star Wars project where there really weren't that many alienoid creatures involved which i like the aliens too don't get me wrong i think the aliens are a lot of fun yeah but they're used properly in the show where they're just like you know like what are they, the fishermen guys yeah yeah they're so like they're so fun <laughs> where, where they're more just like we could really use a funny alien moment here and i feel like andor gets a few of those in there yeah i loved or, the uh, part where the muscle and he was like you used him <laughs> and he was like hey, yeah hey cass <laughs> he was like oh, i'm gonna pay you guys back you don't need to use him <laughs> It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, or like, you know, when they have the surgeon who has like fucking eight arms or whatever. It's like, I feel like Endor uses uh, Star Wars aesthetics and stuff in just a way that's like, you know, it's it's set dressing to the narrative. Um, and I just think that's what it always should be. Yeah. Whereas I feel like so much Star Wars stuff gets really obsessed with the set dressing and the gadgets like, you know. Did you watch Book of Boba Fett, a.k.a. the two best episodes of Mandalorian, which are in the Book of Boba Fett? <laughs> yes, I did watch that show. Okay. Um, Robert Fett, he goes on an adventure. He, uh, <laughs> you know, there's like there's like the scene where Mando gets his new ship, and it's like, yeah. you know, I don't know, it's just like the biggest long stroke of a short masturbation session, you know? It's just like, oh, he got a new Boo Starfighter. And it's tricked out, and it's just like I don't know. It's like it's just obsessed with the toys of it all. Yeah, if if and Amy like, Sedaris I, wasn't to... involved with that, I wouldn't be as interested. But anytime you get ships, you get Amy Sedaris, and so I'm kind of into that. But I do like that. that. I do like that. I agree with. And you. like I don't know. I I don't want to like the thing about the the chasm and the great divide with Star Wars fans is like I feel like both need to exist. Like we need a little bit of the toy commercial. We need yes. a little bit. Of, we need a little bit more Andor lately. I think it'd be a little bit more Andor. Um, so like, I'm not trying to knock it too hard. And like, that ship does look cool. And I know what a Naboo starfighter is. So like, you know, don't. I'm not fucking better than anyone. I just think. Uh, I don't know. I just think like 
I, I like the way that they use the stuff in the show where it's like, like, uh, when Luthen selling Scar, Scar, Scarsgard character is like escaping the Star oh, yeah. Destroyer. It's like, that's so cool. It's because they like, they like waited to do cool shit like that. Right. You know, they popped, they popped off so like rarely. And then when they did, you're just like, I'm going to lose my mind. Right. And it's like one of the best, like, star, you know, it's one of the best spice, uh, spice, space fights in like a Star Wars show, you know, like. Easily. And it's like five seconds long. It's so cool. Yeah. I, I think too, the fact that the mission that they were, the, the original like rebel group that you're with where Andor mm-hmm. is, you know, masquerading, he's doing this as a job. Luthan has kind of set him up with this group of people. Um, I think that group is really interesting because they're just doing a mission and it's not like a Star Wars mission. And yeah, I think to the marriage of them being on that planet with those people who are very like old world people who are just having this like celebration that they have. Um, I guess that element did feel pretty tribal. But yeah, the fact that the mission is really just like a cargo heist essentially yeah and it doesn't have to do with like star wars it's just like a normal haste mission which is kind of cool and yeah, yeah they don't really care about like, then, the gadgets mm. per se no but then like you know it has everything to do with like the, the stuff about star wars people don't realize you know that i didn't even realize till the show did it where you know like that that heist scene it's it's also like incites the rebellion you know right. like yeah it's like you know it's 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 the first like big spark in the rebellion and uh, you know, they're like stealing all this stuff. And then you like, you know, uh, and then you also get to see like how uh, the Imperials like on a like minute level impose fascism on like that group of people that live there, like the indigenous people to that planet. And, you know, again, it's just, it's like the little stuff like that where it's just like, Oh yeah, you never like, you never really see the empire being, fascists right mm-hmm. like you never see them like enact like police state shit going on whereas in andor it's like you know the, the the not to jump too far ahead but like you know the the final like riot in ferrix you know like that i, I remember feeling like emotional during it because i was like oh that like looks like shit i saw on tv a few years ago you know during like um uh some of the BLM protests that the, the police that the the police would then turn violent, you know. Yeah, they also did a really good job of using the music in such a way in that last episode, Rick's Road, that felt like very like Irish as well, and yeah, yeah like really like evoking that whole you know uh, rebellion in Ireland, and yeah, like they chose really good little like nods to things touchstones kind of exactly to like get you like more emotionally invested and it all really really paid off yeah 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 and uh that that sequence of episodes that took place where luthan sends Cass on the first mission um was just so cool like they introduce all of these new characters in such interesting ways and I would say that, like, seeing Eben Moss Bacharach from – I originally saw him in Girls, but then he was really big on The Bear. Um, he's just having, like, the oh, best year yeah. of his life. He's also in uh, The Dropout this year as well. Oh, okay. I haven't yeah, seen The Dropout. in that show. Dropout's good. It's, it's great. Yeah. 
a lot of TV this year, as I said. Uh, I I think this I think TV is having a better year than movies, and I think movies is having a pretty good year. Yeah, I think so too. That's, that's my that's my hot take on that. For sure, for sure. But yeah, uh, gotta say too, Luthen that character. Oh my gosh, how cool to have Stellan Skarsgård in Star Wars now. And I think one of the most compelling things, because you were saying that Andor was doing a lot of things, showing like the police state of the Empire, you know, showing a lot of like the background things that were clearly going on in other Star Wars Mm -hmm. stories. Um, What I really liked that Andor did was show the people who had been fighting for so long, some of them their entire lives. The the mm. speeches in this, like, for instance, I love that there was that one person who was working uh, with the Imperial Army. And, you know, he had been, what, working for them for like 12 years, just like rising yeah. through the ranks so that he could be in charge. And, you know, there's like that great line where he was like, well, yeah, working for you for 12 years, like, taught me what that what I was doing was right. And I loved the speech that Luthen gives. Where he was like, do you think I haven't given everything? I've given everything I I am. I, I wake up, I think about this. I go to sleep, I think yeah. about this. And I'm not even going to get to see the results of what I've done. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Just, the sun that will never rise. <laughs> yes. Just like the the amount, like monologues can kind of feel cheesy after a while if they're used repetitively. But every single monologue about the fight <clears throat> um, was very, very heartfelt and touching and emotional and yeah that's what i really liked that this show did because yeah as i said before like the jedis are really like headstrong and they usually are like just thinking about the next battle they're not really thinking about like the long game of it all and i liked that this show showed all the characters who are really in it for like the long haul and have been who have really risked it all and won't even get to see what it is that they're doing which kind of speaks to Andor and, you know, Cass's journey in Rogue One as well. Like His he, his ultimate fate that we know. Right. Right. That he knows that he's doing this thing and he's not even going to get to see the results of it. But he believes in it so much that, you know, he'll devote his life to it. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree. Um, Stellan Skarsgård, uh, Luthen, he is, uh, I think, also like maybe – He's tied for my favorite or second favorite to um, uh, Andy Serkis's character. You get more time with uh, Luthen. I think the reveal that, like, you know, when he puts on his uh, his disguise and he's running that, like, Star Wars Easter egg shop, the only place <laughs> where you'll see that, <laughs> um, is, is, like, such, like, a great, like, character moment and, like, character reveal. Um... And yeah, and I I agree. Like the monologues in this show, um, I think generally they work for everyone. I, I think monologue monologues for me, like I, I generally don't love them in much of anything. Like they have to be like really fucking good. But at the very least, for me, they have to be earned. You know. Right. And I feel like in this show, like every time a character is just like I'm about to go off for like three minutes, it's just like earned. Here you go. You know, and uh, and also like, you think about like the the subject of their monologues. Like a Jedi character would never have a monologue like that in the show. Because what the fuck are they gonna talk about for three minutes? Like 
the plight of good versus evil. It's like it's fuck yeah, we get it. Like it's cool. Don't worry. It's about the whole it. thing. So yeah, it's a whole thing. Like you're, it's it's old. It's old news to me. Bye. Um, right. Whereas like yeah, when you have these characters who are you know underpowered, underrepresented, has something to actually fight for. You know the the Jedi are interesting. I think in the context of like Order sixty six stuff and why like those narratives like speak to a lot of people is because they're fighting for like survival and you get the kind of like story tropes of like I'm actually the super powerful being but I'm in disguise it's just like a normie and that stuff always like really works pretty good you know it's always like pretty fun to watch sure but uh you know it's it's there's only so much you can do with it whereas yeah with these characters it's like you know Star Wars prison and and it's just it's so cool um but yeah I think all the monologues are like super effective and um and you just, I think like every character kind of gets their gets their moment, however big or small. But like every character kind of gets their moment to shine. Um, we haven't even really talked about uh, was it Alex Lothar's character in uh, Andor, the end of the fucking world, kid. I forget his <laughs> name. Um, yeah, the end of the fucking world, kid. Manifesto uh, boy. Karis, Ka- yeah, yeah, and like you know he's just like. Um, I don't know, just like this Marxist dude who believes in the rebellion and stuff. And I just think it's just like it's so bold to like have like a character like that, even in Star Wars. Um, and just like have a philosophy. Like, you know, I guess like Star Wars doesn't really have philosophy, political or otherwise, really in it. It just has like good versus evil, which is, you know, it's fine for the most part. Yeah, yeah. The Jedi and the Sith uh, juxtaposition. Those things can be kind of seen as a philosophy, for sure. And I haven't seen um, all of those animated series, like Clone Wars. I haven't seen a lot of that. I watched, mm-hmm. like, the OG Clone Wars, where it was, like, 2D animation. Um, oh, the Samurai Jack. The, yeah, way long ago. The Tartarovsky one. Yeah. Right. I mean, those are, those are cool. Those are cool. But I haven't yeah. seen any of, like, the newer, like, now more widely accepted Clone Wars series but Heath has told me some of the episodes, and I do love the idea of that one episode. Have you seen all of Clone Wars? Because maybe you'll you'll be able to speak to this no, better. Uh, yeah, I, I watched. So there's like lists out there that's just like these are the Clone Wars episodes you need to watch because there's a lot of Clone Wars episodes. Just like R two D two got a cake and he's gonna do something weird, <laughs> and it usually happens like during the middle of like Darth Maul got legs. R two D two got a cake. So there's like I've seen most of Clone Wars. I've seen like. The big beats of Clone Wars. Okay, cool. So yeah, you'll probably know the one I'm talking about then. The one where there's like the planet where like they're keeping alive these two children and like one's like going to be good and one's going to be evil. And it's kind of like mm-hmm. they're the juxtaposition that are kind of like holding this planet in Oh like, yeah, stasis. it's like the Star Wars creation myth episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the idea of stuff like that is very compelling to me and very intriguing and it's that one, like, it is, like, the philosophy of what does this mean? Why do we need these two things? Um, what fuels one? What fuels the other? I think that's, like, a more interesting discussion than just, like, blanket good versus evil, like you said. Yeah. And so I think they I do think every the- once in a while get into stuff like that when it comes to, like, Sith and Jedi. But I do think it is possibly glossed over a little bit too frequently for my taste. I do like those, like, deeper, headier conversations. Yeah. I, I think that to make Jedi Sith, Sith stuff, like, a bit more 
interesting to someone like me is they have to kind of like do what Andor did for Star Wars politics, which is like, you know, flesh it out, explain what both sides are trying to do, explain why people living under these different regimes would like them and dislike them. You know, when you have someone who like lives under the Empire and they're just like, the Empire is keeping us safe. It's like, okay, that's cool. Because like, no, they're not. But you get to see like why someone is like cool with the Empire. Because like Mm -hmm. if everyone didn't like it, you know, this shit would be over way sooner. Right. So you have to have some people who are into it, right? Right. But I think with you know, they have to do what Andor did for politics. They need to do that for like Sith versus Jedi, Sith versus Jedi, and they just need to flesh out. I think what the Sith want because when it's something ambiguous like dominance and power, it's just like I don't know, like okay, like okay. Whereas like Jedi, you know, with the Jedi, you can be like they want peace, and the Jedi I think are a bit more interesting because it's like they want peace. But they were pushed into an era of war, and because of their, like, superhuman status, they became, like, war machines. And it's, like, juxtaposed against, like, what they were, like, designed to do, like, what their what their order was. So they're kind of, like, giant hypocrites in that way. Right. And at least, like, their ultimate down- downfall. So it's, like, that stuff narratively, I think, is interesting. But with, this, with the Sith, there's nothing interesting about them. Oh, it, weird, because I think it's cool that... It's a constant struggle of acceptance and recognition. I think it's very Mm -hmm. cool that there's, like, one Sith master and then, like, another Sith who's just constantly trying to gain the approval of the master (laughs) to the point Mm -hmm. that, yeah, it's just, like, the constant level of, like, usurping and, you know, taking over the reins. I just can't imagine how, like, psychologically damaging that must be to be taught something but then to be told like but you can never be the master it just seems like such like an interesting way to like fracture someone's like soul and identity which Mm -hmm. i find really fascinating with the set i yeah and like yes i i do like the rule two stuff and i do like a lot of the sith apprentice master relationship stuff as well i just think for like the ultimate goal of the sith Mm. i think that could be more interesting yeah 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 yeah. Like yeah, what is the end goal? Like once you what own is the end goal? Yeah, then what? Like what's and it's the not deal? that like the Jedi. Yeah, and the Jedi's are just like you know they have a bit of an out because they're just like oh we're peacekeepers, and that can lead to a lot of different goals. You know. Yeah. Because like peace is pretty like subjective, but it's like you know, I, I feel like if the Sith also saw themselves as peacekeepers. Then we have something interesting going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But definitely. I feel like they're just like, we're chaos. <laughs> well, what did you think about the the Deidre character then? Denise Gow's character, the one that Cyril is simping for hard all season hard long. simping for. <laughs> uh, I think people shipping them on Twitter need to kill themselves. <laughs> yeah. Is, that's, that too bold? is that too bold to say? <laughs> that's a lot. Well, it was interesting because at the beginning of the series where they kept talking about like Cyril making his own clothes. Mm-hmm. I was like, weren't they seeding that he might not be, like, straight? But I don't really know if they were really that concerned with that. So then when he got there well, and he became obsessed I think with he, her, he made, I like, think he, like, made right. his cold clothes more, like, imperial looking. Yes. he would, like, take yes. off the collars and stuff like that. For sure, for sure. But it was just like, all right, you guys are, like, really focusing on the clothes. <laughs> but maybe it was just Yeah. Me. <laughs> I think the clothes, well, no, I mean, I, I think it's, like, a, it's an interesting character quirk. For sure. And it's like and it's like the little stuff like that that makes it a compelling character. Mm-hmm. You know, like 
You love to see little shit like that. You love seeing Tony Stark in Avengers eat a bag of chips and act with that bag of chips more than he's acting with Mark Ruffalo in the room. Like, that's great stuff. Give that man um, a prop. Yeah. Give him give him some. So, like, you know, give him like, you know, giving characters little shit like that, little ticks and stuff like that always makes, makes them more interesting. interesting for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Deidre, it, her rise to power is interesting. I don't know if her grasping for power so strongly is because... She's a woman. I don't know if that's her drive is to prove herself to all of these men. What do you think her end goal is in this show? I I think the end goal is recognition. I don't know if it's necessarily like gaining more power. Like I'm not sure like if she like wants to be like the like ultimately the head of everything unless that means ultimate recognition. You know, if that if that I think the goal is recognition. So, you know, and her doing this, like, big, you know, rebel bust, essentially, is, like, her, like, this is my fucking moment. Um, I think, like, the gender discussion around her, um, you know, with, like, gender in Star Wars, like, Star Wars doesn't really have, like, oh, women can't do this, you know? True. You do see a little bit more of it in Andor, where you have, like, characters who get married off. They do a little bit of Game of Thrones in this one, with, like... (laughs) Mom Mothma's daughter, like, being courted and stuff like her. that. Yeah. But, like, but who knows if, like, you know, uh, they do that with their sons as well. You know, like, like, I, like, Star Wars, I feel like, is, like, pretty um, gender neutral about, like, a lot of its, like, politics in that way. The only time, but, you know, ours, like, seep into it where it's, like, we put Leia in a sexy outfit. Yeah. You know, but that's, like, less of, like, I feel like Star Wars is male gaze and more of our male gaze who are making Star Wars, you know? Does sure, that make I sense? It, I think, too, that was really more about, like, just slave culture and women sure, sold into, like, sex slavery. I think it was mm-hmm. more about that than necessarily, like, let's talk about Leia, because she's a lady. <laughs> yeah, <know>? exactly. <laughs> like, I think I think Star Wars, like, you know, if there's any, like, toxic masculinity or, like, uh, toxic, like, kind of, like, gender performance in Star Wars, it's the meta context of the people making it. Mm-hmm. Less of, like, what the what the galaxy thinks of gender. In sure. that way, if that makes sense, you know. Yeah, I, I can that, see what that you're all saying. That all being said, that all being said, you know, Tony Gilroy, who is man, who is in our world writing Star Wars, um, I think you have a story that even like you know a woman who is a fascist is still dealing with the same things that women have to deal with who are not fascists, but mm-hmm. she is still, you know, women can be bad people, but women who are also bad people are still fighting to be recognized and heard. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've never really thought about it in that context that, like, a lot of Star Wars characters do kind of, or are written kind of like asexual characters. Like, yeah. especially- and Marvel characters, too. They're all, like, sexless fucking gods, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the reason I can't get behind, like, the Marvel stuff is because they're, like, all constantly talking about who's boning <laughs> and, like- yeah. There's so much sexual tension in the room. It's like, you guys just, like, need to figure your shit out. But in Star yeah. Wars, it's, like, completely not even a thing. There's, um, like, a sex scene in Andor, and it's, like, pretty PG. Um yeah. But it's, like, the only one to ever be in Star Wars. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you do have um, Cinta and Ven? What is her name? 
Mon's cousin. Mon Mothra's cousin? Uh, Vel, Vel, Vel. You do have, like, the Vel-Sinta relationship that's Mm -hmm. kind of getting put on the back burner. Yeah. Which is I mean, Star Wars has relationships. They have relationships. They have relationships. They But it's not not the focus. No, and it's just very, like, it's not sexual, you know? The Mm -hmm. the most sexual they get is, like, Padme and Anakin, and it's, you know, put that away. (laughs) (laughs) We all know where that got us. Yeah, we don't want that. No. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I thought the Deidre character, I mean, Denise Gao, she's amazing. Um, it made me feel like a real idiot because I was like, oh yeah, that's the woman from Under the Banner of Heaven. But then I was like, oh, but yeah, she's also the woman from Monday. Oh, the woman from Monday and the woman from <laughs> Under the Banner of Heaven. That was the same person. And I didn't mm-hmm. recognize her at all. Yeah, she's an incredible actress and- yeah. I think she did a great job, but I thought her character was compelling because, like, I couldn't figure her out, per se. Um, and she was really kind of, like, the only character yeah. who I could understand why she was doing what she was doing, but I didn't know the end game to what she was doing, um, why she yeah. was so fixated. Because at this point, it's kind of like, is she a person at all, or is she kind of, like, the opposite? I mean, she might just be there to be the opposite of Andor, where Cass is like, really almost becoming pure rebellion more than like a human and she's becoming mm-hmm. like pure fascist more than a human you know yeah. having their identity be so defined by what they're championing yeah i mean you have like luthan who who definitely is like at this point he has foregone he has gotten rid of identity for sake of like you know a movement mm-hmm. you know to the point where he has that uh moment with like Saw Gerrera where he's just like listen we're gonna kill a lot of our people in this mm-hmm. but it's we got it we got it it's for the greater good and like you know I think you as the audience supposed to be like I don't know yeah, <laughs> I think that's pretty fucked up but you can also but, understand you know, where he's coming from but you're like Ooh. you know where he's coming from but I also think like Rogue One uh, explored kind of the, the gray that can exist in like Star Wars politics really well mm-hmm. and I think that's what this is in this show too where it's like yeah you're supposed it's a bad thing it's a bad person thing to do but you see why he's doing it. because, And then he has his monologue by the end of, I think it's that episode or maybe the one before it, where he's like, you know, I, he's, I'm barely a fucking person. I'm doing this to, you know, I have to do this. I have to do this for the sake of the galaxy, for the betterment of the galaxy. And, you know, I'm not going to let anyone get in my way or convince me otherwise. So I do think, you know, when you see Cassian, you know, in that final moment of season one, it's him kind of being like, yeah, he's starting to shift more that way. Because you also see him, you know, be so reluctant to, you know, he's kind of apolitical in, you know, he's just trying to survive. And I think that's like a lot of people being like, I don't want to engage with this shit. Just fucking let me live my life. Leave me out of it. And then you kind of get sucked in by just being, you know, a person. Uh, yeah. Whereas, you know, sorry, no, go ahead. Oh, no, you finish. Um, whereas like Deidre, it's like, you know, I think she's already in the system but i almost feel like she's she's like a narcissist where you know she, I, does the empire mean that much to her or does her success mean that much to her you know mm-hmm. but i think that's i think we have we don't know yet no no whereas like cyril is like you know i i think he he's weird in a way where it's like i think he's like pretty into the empire but he's also like into like what he's doing Mm-hmm. Um, but he just becomes like obs- he's like an incel, right? He's like just like obsessed and like you know 
this weird like mama's boy like he could be like a serial killer like i don't know he's serial is like one of the more interesting characters because i don't like totally get what his kind of end goal is gonna be you know yeah i yeah agreed i think he possibly could be turned you know i think he's a character yeah. that is ripe for maybe you know the rebellion yeah getting in there and being like you've been working so hard for this and for what like no one's even paying attention to you yeah um let's give you a mission where like you get that love and acceptance that like your mother isn't giving you and that deidre isn't giving you you mm. know i i could see him being turned for sure he is an interesting I character because like i don't know did he say he like stands the empire and wants to be imperial when he's like a corpo cop essentially like I mean, I think he has big aspirations, but I don't think he really – I think he's trying to get out of the bureaucracy and do something that he thinks, like, actually matters. matters. And then he yeah. gets there and he was like, damn, it's just more bureaucracy. <laughs> like, yeah. Can't really escape this. I'm still, like, just stuck no. at a desk. Yeah, that was dark. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think he just wants to be, like, where the action is. And he doesn't realize right. that, like, it's not so simple as just, like – moving to where the empire is you know right right yeah. um no what i was going to say earlier about casa's um overall arc is that yeah i think he was so reluctant to be a part of the rebellion or to really um focus on anything other than finding his sister because the yeah. first few episodes are so sister heavy and then, and then we kind of drop that shit yeah, almost entirely, which is interesting because mm. you you think that he's not going to listen to Marva when she's like, no one made it out. Like, you have to give this up. You have to. Like, you yeah. cannot keep focusing on this because it's fruitless and she wants better for him. It's not mm. – I mean, it's it's a harsh reality to tell someone that you love to be like, you have to give this up. But I think yeah. in her case, you know, she's telling him because she wants to see him actually – care about things that will come to fruition like you know see what's in front of you rather than searching for this thing that you will never find um mm. and then yeah he kind of does switch that off which was surprising because you kind of thought like can he give that up can he give that search up yeah and seemingly he does right i mean it's like circumstance kind of makes him have to have to give it up yeah yeah where he's like you know uh basically given it he's he's just constantly given like ultimatums or the decision to strip from him entirely where it's like do this heist or else you're fucked <laughs> or right. it's like now you're in jail but even like you know when he uh gets his money after the heist and he's like chilling on beach on beach on miami planet uh he doesn't seem like he's <laughs> rushing out to find his yeah it's, that's great it has like the best like music in that scene too um but he's not exactly rushing out to go find his sister when he's doing that either you know it's true it's true yeah, because yeah. they seeded that at the beginning, the whole, like, search for the sister, he was mm -hmm. just, like, so hooked on it. He was like, what if Sinta is the sister? And I'm like, Sinta is not the sister. Well, he's he's trained by <laughs> Star Wars properties of old because that's, you know, that's who's related to who? What's, what's the twist? Right. Is Obi-Wan Ray's grandpa? <laughs> <laughs> She's a palpatine. Get out of here. Isn't that smart? Isn't it? Tell me I'm good. <laughs> Tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm good. <laughs> Give me the recognition. It's <laughs> fucking stupid. Stupid yeah. shit. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, 
a character that we didn't talk about, who's just very, very minor, that I just really loved was Tay, Mon's friend, um, who she was trying to help or get money from, essentially trying to find financial aid and her friend Tay. Um, That actor Mm -hmm. is great, Ben Miles. Um, He was in The Crown, which was awesome. But then I know him from this British comedy called Coupling, which is really like pre-Friends, but Friends is kind of just like American coupling. But yeah, Ben Miles okay. was great. I just thought all of the casting was awesome. It was great. There was a lot of like really good actors in the show. Uh, mm-hmm. I love like, you know, he was great in the show, but I just love like the aristocratic uh, outfits they all have. Like the costume mm-hmm. design of the show is like really, like really, really good. And I feel like if anything, like, you know, Set design and costuming and Star Wars in mo- Star Wars stuff is always like pretty fucking cool, mm-hmm. but you know it was cool to see it not just be um, armor and fight stuff. It's like you know it's cool seeing like what like political regalia would look like, and uh, even something like uh, Luthen's like garb was always like really cool, you know. Yeah. So I just thought, I thought like the costuming was really good in the show. Yeah, and I loved how Mon's house just kind of looked like a really cool, dope mansion. Yeah. And, yeah, it wasn't or very... Like, or, like, a bougie, like, New York City apartment, you know? Yes. like Yeah. Yeah, I loved cool. her house. Yeah, I think cool. a lot of the, you know, I, the show also uses a lot of, like, actual sets. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't... I don't think they do anything on the volume, which is, you know, kind of kind of cool. And I think really shows in the show. I think this... I think the, you know... We haven't talked too much about, like, the technical aspects of the show, but I think it's also, like, you know, it's one of the best-looking shows on TV, and it doesn't look like it got farted out by a computer, you know? Uh-huh. Like, it just <laughs> looks really good. Um, and, yeah, just, like, the places feel very realized. Like, even, like, the um, <clears throat> the rain-soaked neon street city that is in the first scene, first episode of Andor, like, you know feels like blade runner it just feels cool like all the all those places like feel realized and lived in and things that you always like kind of identified with star wars but i feel like you kind of have lost a little bit in recent years and they don't go to tattooing at all in this show so that's like an extra star right there (laughs) (laughs) gotta get out of that planet man i don't want to i won't see it anymore and then like the mute the the score i think the score is terrific and how like the opening theme is a new arrangement every episode um it's just all like you know it it's firing on like a lot of like cylinders like whereas like something like Mandalorian and Boba Fett it's like it's it's Power Rangers for slightly older kids you mm-hmm. know yeah it, it's interesting that yeah we didn't talk about the technical aspects or the music or like the set design how yeah. none of that really came up and it's because it's, it's so, so good Yes, exactly. Like everything blends Mm -hmm. so well that it almost goes without saying how like incredible it actually is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, very good. Yeah, what I found so moving overall, um, and it really comes to light in that last episode, is that I didn't really, I mean, it's a silly thing. I didn't really think about Marva's last name also being Andor until her funeral scene mm-hmm. where she says, my name is Marva Andor. Yeah. And I just thought that was so powerful to kind of save. It's not like it's a reveal. Of course, her last name is Andor. 
Um, But it was just so cool to save that to the end, to have the show be called Andor. And it is about Cass primarily, but it's also kind of about how Cass came to be with her and with Clem and how Mm -hmm. he is so, Cass is so obsessed with finding like what his identity is. He's so desperate to connect to his past, his sister. He doesn't quite really know what he's doing, but how he finds and takes resolve in, like, the fact that he was, like, adopted and the fact that he didn't really get the life that he thought he was promised because his planet was completely undermined by the Empire and how he kind of feels like a character. Well, he feels his own life story has kind of been written for him Mm -hmm. up until, like, the the climax of Andor. And I think that's when he decides to like start writing his life for himself. Yeah. Because Marva always knew who she was. And she always was strong in her convictions. She was very focused. And Marva was just such a cool character. And then to have her say her last name as well in that last episode, I feel like really like lit a fire under Cass's name to be like, oh my name means something. I come from greatness. Look at what my mother did. Look what I can do. I'm in it. Like, the yep. whole last episode was so emotionally well thought out that even just the name of the show, they could have named this show anything. But the fact that it was, like, named after the legacy of both him and his mother and his parents yeah, was just really, really cool to see at the very end of the, the first season. I mean, Andor is the spark of the rebellion, and it's not mm-hmm. just him. As Cassian Andor, it's Andor, his mother, too. And yeah, right. I think he's, you know, he's a character who you meet him and he's stuck in the past and he's obsessed with his past. And his present becomes so tumultuous that he then becomes obsessed with his future and the future of everyone else, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think all great protagonists, the hero's journey is to have, like, you know, a character who is, like, presented with something and that character rejects it. And then how do we get that character kind of ultimately to accept his fate and his destiny? And you get that with Andor, where you have a character, you know, like, you have to drag him through the fucking Imperial mud for him at the end of that season to be like, all right, let's do this, you know? Because he even does that height stuff. He even gets a lot of, like, you know, rebellion philosophy straight up there. And he's still just like, I don't, I, I'm out. I don't want to do it. I think I sent right. him a little fucking fascist prison. And even then, he's like, I don't know if he's, like, swayed yet. He's like, I just got to get out of here. And then he ultimately, you know, he kind of, like, you know, finds an identity. Um, And we'll see, you know, the sister stuff has to come back up, I'd imagine. You would think so, right? I Yeah, it'd be just kind of weird if it didn't at all. Because I'm assuming season two is going to lead, like, pretty much, like, into Rogue One. I think so as well. Yeah, I think that's the plan. That's I mean, Rogue One led right into New Hope, so that w- that feels like you know a good, you know, uh, s- structural symmetry to have there. You know, so we'll see. Agreed. But I, I, the sister stuff has to come up. I wonder, like, I think it'd be lame if the sister is a character we have already met. Um, mm-hmm. but it's also like you know, at this point, seeing where the show ended up, it's kind of the thing I'm the least interested in. You know, where I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, definitely. I'm only going to care about it. I I kind of want season two, if even if they do find out, like, well, she was buried here. 
granted that's sad and you know i don't wish pain on Cass. but yeah even something like super simple to just be like he gets some kind of closure would be nice i don't want it to be like a huge focus point unless you know they do it really well which i i guess i trust them like they they should prove me wrong yeah yeah show me otherwise yeah, yeah, I just can't imagine it not being like a huge, just like to introduce another character with this backstory, and you know they're they're already spinning a lot of plates, and the show's just like so tight as it is. But I don't, I have faith that they'll do. They there's like no fat on Andor. No, it's, absolutely not. It's such a good. It's such like a, just a well crafted show. Um, I have like zero like criticisms on it. I I do kind of wish we got a little bit more time with like Clem. Because I feel like the way they talked about him in flashbacks was like, just like a little confusing. I was like, wait, who is he again? What's his deal? And like, you know, you can kind of put it together. It's like, well, he's important to Andor for these reasons. And he's kind of like the first kind of, you know, shows Andor like maybe why the Empire is not so good. But it's a little um, brief, you know? Yeah. And maybe not enough B. No, <laughs> I just love B. That the that new little droid, great. so cool. Not enough him being happy because you get him being oh, happy and that's cool. And then he is sad, and that is very sad because he's great. Yeah, him just sitting on his like charge pad and then getting yeah. so excited when someone comes and he was like, "You don't have to leave. You can stay the night." So yeah. cute and so heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. No. Great. Great droid. Great for droid. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like there are so many other things that we could talk about, but were there any things that we just straight up missed that you wanted to touch on really quickly? I think we hit the big stuff. I mean, we talked about all the the major players and what's going on. Can't wait for season two. Hopefully getting it 2024. Feels far away. Looks like it. Looks like it. No, yeah, I just, you know, I I hope it leads to more, you know, I I hope that it, like, changes Star Wars in a way. And, like, you know, I I feel like I talked a lot of, like, smack about people who, like, you know, like certain Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like, listen, I like a lot of that stuff, too. I just want it to be better. That's the thing, you know? Like, I like, like, I think Obi-Wan has great moments, but it could, you you can't tell me it couldn't be better, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. I. I think the criticism that we were giving while we were joking and kind of being silly about it, I do think it's just the question of, like, have we seen this before? Like, you can't just keep yeah. showing us the same stuff and expect right. us to just be, like, impressed. Like, Yeah. It's not a magic trick. Like, we need more depth. No. We need to see these concepts be explored from different angles. Or if you are going to show us the same stuff, it just – it has to be complex. There has to be – substance there outside of just look at this glowing sword like we get it we've seen them before yeah yeah so we get mandalorian season three in march and it's just like oh yeah going going back but i don't know i like the uh the mando episodes in robert fett season one (laughs) i thought were i'm like they were cool there's like there's a lot of cool like camera stuff like um like the scene where he like is in the butcher shop and he's like fighting those guys and it's like the one take of him being fucked up and going up to see uh the other Mandalorians. I was like, that stuff's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I mean if Mandalorian becomes like the the baby Yoda show, the Grogu show, it's like I'm, I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch all this shit no matter what. Don't get don't get it twisted. 
Yeah, yeah, me too. We're we're yeah. dug in deep. But Bern, I'm curious for you to watch uh, Tales of the Jedi because I think you would dig it. It's cool. I think I'm gonna like that too. Can't yeah. wait for Bad Batch to come back. I'm excited for Bad that. Bad Batch is cool. Yeah, really. What are they gonna dig. do with that little with that little queen? <gasps> What's gonna be her deal? I don't know. We'll find out. Mm-hmm. She's great. She is great. I love her. Love her and her weird <laughs> Australian accent, which makes no sense. But I love her. Should yeah, it's it should be New Zealand, right? But yeah, New Zealand accent. Yeah, whatever she well, has, yeah. it's very funny. Well, just because I think um, uh, Boba Fett, the actor who plays to to Moore Morrison, I think is actually I don't know. I don't want to speak out of turn. I have no idea. <laughs> I thought right. so. Right. Um, Robbie, mm. the the big reveal at the end of Andor. Did you feel like you called it as soon as they were on that prison? He was like, what do you think they're building? And I'm like, you know what they're building. <laughs> <laughs> I think I didn't immediately assume, but I was watching like the new Rockstar uh, like recap videos. And I think that was one of his theories is like, I think they're building the Death Star. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty obvious. I do think the way it's revealed and I think that final shot is like, like, I want a poster of it. Like, I think it looks Still pretty chilling. So fucking cool and it is very chilling and it is very ominous and you know even if you could have seen it coming like them just kind of like presenting it in that sequence of it being like these are like the little gears that you know the people you know they're the the grapes that the empire is bleeding dry is making this happen you know and i think it just kind of like is very it's very powerful and impactful the way that they revealed it and what they showed you to kind of make that big reveal happen. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, listen, the thing about Rogue One is that it is about the Death Star. So right. it makes sense that that would be what you see at the end of it. Yeah, I was telling you, there was very cool bookends to see that, like, Andor both helped build the Death Star and also destroyed it. Like, how yes. cool was that? But also it, it destroyed him. It destroyed him. Yeah. That's true. So That's true. Interesting. Poetry, it rhymes. It rhymes. (laughs) (laughs) But only sometimes. Only sometimes. (laughs) Well, Robbie, do you have anything you would like to plug um, or anything you would like to hype up? Uh, I don't have anything at the moment. Uh, Always check out Story Screen Reports, new episode towards the end of every month. Uh... And the, listen to the last one, Source and Reports, new show, covered the top five stories in TV, film, and entertainment. Uh, so yeah, check those out. I, I do a lot of work throughout the month to curate uh, the stories that we talk about and discuss, but it's a really fun time. And we're just kind of like, you know, talking about uh, entertainment news on a more granular, granular level. So if you guys are kind of into, you know, more discussion like that, and even like, you know, old news is cool news. So listen to the previous episodes. Uh, I had an article out on PC Magazine that came out at this point like a month or so ago. It is the most accurate um, science and tech films. Uh, so you can check that out. I don't think it's like on the homepage or anything anymore. But if you search uh, Robert Anderson on PC Mag, you could read that article. So if you're interested in checking that out, uh, please do. But that's all I got. Yeah, man. Yeah. Good yeah. plugs. I endorse. <laughs> I endorse. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't really have anything to plug listeners, but um, I am excited. We're getting to towards the end of the year. Um, yeah. It's where Story Screen, our family, really gets to be overindulgent 
and talk about the things that we loved the most that came out this year. So look for like best of lists to start coming out in January. Um, that's always a really fun time. We're going to have a great podcast coming up where your faves get on the pod and they talk about their favorite films of the year. And that's always one of the, the best podcasts of the year for sure. Hell so yeah. look forward to that. Um, obviously, go to storyscreenbeacon.com. If you scroll to the bottom, you'll be able to find all of our nifty little logos. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Make sure to reach out and connect with us through those channels if it so pleases you. Um, it's funny, we did this entire podcast, and I think my neighbor is finally done using his leaf blower, um, <laughs> which was scrambling my brain pretty much the entire podcast, but uh, nice. it's beautiful. We've reached the end. Um, thank you, Robbie, for joining me. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I know we were both hot on this show. Uh, Diana yes. DeMuro, we miss you. Uh, she was going to join us for this podcast, but got held up at work. Um, but yeah, the Story Screen fam really loves this show. And we hope you love it too. Listeners, thanks so much for sticking with us. Hope you have a great rest of your day. And we'll catch you later. Bye. Peace.